Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. All right, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Daniel chapter 4. We spent a very lengthy period of time. Uh, If you've been tracking with us since March of last year, that being 2020, in what was the beginning, if you would, of the quarantine season, which clearly extended much longer than any one of us would have anticipated, because in the beginning days, everyone was adjusting, there was a shock, there was an awe, there was a supposed caution in the way that we were handling um, situations and things of that nature, and we were assuming, if you would, uh, that there was an authenticity to the direction and the course that was being charted for all of us, uh, so on and so on. But we spent a lengthy period of time in the book of Daniel, and I was just reminded over days of some of the beautiful things that we have been gleaning out of the book of Daniel over this past, what has been 10 months, I shared in the beginning, coming up the beginning of March, is going to be a full 12 months that we have been joining you live this way, uh, via this way of connecting. Um, But as I was uh, just considering, again, our time together today, uh, I'm going to, maybe not frequently, but I'm going to, from time to time, try to look down and track with everybody. On Facebook, I am on my personal page. I don't do that to try to be exclusive to any of the other pages. Uh, To be honest, it's just the easiest one for me to track with. Um, I mean, I I guess that wouldn't be all the way true. I mean, my page, the Burning Ones page, it could all be the same. Uh, And so I'll do that. I'll jump over onto the Burning Ones page. And there's a whole different crowd of folks on this side. Uh, Welcome, guys. And we love you on this side as well. Janelle. Um... Thompson, you are amazing. Uh, But as we look into the book of Daniel, uh, I want us to look into chapter 4, and we're going to look at a situation where Daniel is brought in because Nebuchadnezzar has once again had a dream, right? Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time recreating the context, um, You know, I get asked from time to time what I think about current events and things that are going on and all of the situations that seem to be right before our eyes, spiraling out of control. Um, Not to say that we ever at any point feel like we have firm control on things that are happening, which is what we're going to take a look at right now in a response that Daniel provides to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Nebuchadnezzar views himself as the most powerful man in the land. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, much like the dream that he had the first time, which is in chapter two. Daniel and his crew, um, they rally together. They realize there's a certain time period. They're all going to die, meaning all of those that are a part of the Uh, The wise men, the enchanters, um, that whole squad that Daniel is overseeing. He recognizing that there is tension because of the time. Nebuchadnezzar has set an appointment for all of those that he is looking to. He is going to kill them if they cannot tell him two things. The dream that he had 
He's not sharing the dream. They must tell him the dream that he had and then also provide the correct interpretation of said dream. Daniel catches word. Um, Asphanaz, who is the one that is overseeing them. Um, Daniel wants to know why are things so urgent. Tell him to calm down. He goes and requests more time. With that time that Daniel has, he goes to his crew. Now again, it's him and his guys. And he tells them, let's go to sleep. And let's ask the Lord to reveal to us the answer to this mystery in a dream, um, in a night vision, right? David in Psalm 16 says, it's you, O Lord, that I give praise. This is Psalm 16, 7. He says, for you bring me counsel in the night. Depending on your translation, you bring me instructions. Um, it is you that gives me wisdom. You provide insight. And so Daniel tells his guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's like, let's ask the Lord to have compassion on us. That, that, that's going to be a big word for today. Um, let's ask the Lord to have compassion on us in this situation and to reveal to us what seems to be hidden, what seems to be bound up right now, what seems to be locked away, reserved. Uh, we don't have it plain and simple. It has not yet been revealed, but let's ask the Lord for him to have compassion on us. And we know in chapter two, um, they end up taking a nap. I don't know if they take a nap. I don't know if they go to sleep in the evening. However, it may be, it says that God reveals the mystery to Daniel in a night vision. And Daniel comes back to Nebuchadnezzar. He tells him the dream that he had. He also provides him with the interpretation, which ends up being a rebuke of sorts. Um, but this is what brings Nebuchadnezzar to look for Daniel again in chapter four when he has another dream. And when he has this dream, he searches for Daniel. And Daniel comes in and after he shares the dream, um, when you look at verse 19, we're in chapter 4. This Again, this is the book of Daniel. Chapter 4, when you look at verse 19, I have it here, so I'm just going to read along. Uh, I have it in the NASB in case mine reads a little differently than the one that you're looking at. He says, then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar. Um, again, there was a name change. He wasn't just identifying as a Belshazzar. Um, in our identify culture, uh, again, last year there was a series of times we all realize that America is hemorrhaging right now. Um, America is hemorrhaging. There are a lot of wounds to this nation and it is bleeding out right before our very eyes. And I don't say lightly or even jokingly that Daniel was identifying as a Belshazzar. We just have some really crazy stuff going on right now nationally. Just some really crazy stuff. And again, not diving headway into all of those things. Um, and again, not to make light of this identify culture. Boys want to identify as girls. Girls want to identify as boys. Um, others feel that they should be able to choose any day that they get up, depending on how they feel. Those that are young want to identify as if they're old. Those that are old want to identify as though they're young. And we even try to have legislation where these types of choices should be pushed into the corner of the person making that day-to-day -day determination. Uh, you, you know, it's funny. Um, my wife right now, as you probably could notice, is carrying a child. Um, I'm just going to pray that I don't get beat up for a comment like that. Um, not to say that she is visibly 
carrying a child, but she is. We are at that stage in the pregnancy where she is visibly carrying a child. And you know what's really wild? It's not just a child, right? When we went to the gender reveal, uh, they only gave me two options as to what it could be. There wasn't a bunch of other stuff, right? I know now when you jump on Facebook and you're creating an account, there's 300 different options as to the gender. There's drop down boxes and there's open lists and there's all types of crazy stuff that you can select from. But what's interesting is a few months ago when we were sitting in the doctor's office, this has nothing to do with even what I was planning on sharing. And we are going to get back to that for those of you that think um, that I journey down rabbit trails and get lost. Uh, I don't. There was only two options. There was only two options. You're having a boy, which is what we found out that day, or you're having a girl. They didn't tell us it has to remain unknown until the child is old enough to decide what they want to be. Um, it's very easy when they're looking at the physicality or when they're looking at um, the genitalia of the child that's alive in the womb. It's important that I say it that way. It's a child, it's alive, it's a person, and it's in the womb waiting to come out and to join us. Um, but the genitalia determined what it is that they revealed to me we were having. And they told us that we're having a boy. And we are waiting on little Elijah to join us. Um, symbolically, prophetically, we believe that the Lord is birthing Elijah's uh, into the earth in this window of history to join in for the end time harvest. That There's labors that are being birthed into the world, into the earth um, in this season. Um, folks, I think we're a little closer than at times we want to realize. But Daniel comes in and in chapter four, it tells us that his name is Belshazzar. And again, his name is not Belshazzar because he identifies that way. His name is Belshazzar because they've been brought into exile and they've been brought into a wicked kingdom under a pagan ruler. And Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man. And Nebuchadnezzar changed their names against their will. They were sifted. They were severed from every bit of comfort. We realize this in chapter one. This is the introduction that we have in chapter one. It's the introduction. By the hand of the Lord, he turns over the children of Israel to King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, the people of the Chaldeans. I don't like the way that sounds. I'm sure you don't like the way that sounds. There's tension there. By the hand of the Lord. I don't really like that. I know you probably don't like that, but it doesn't matter because it's there. It's there. And his beauty, his mercy, his justice, his righteousness, um, he displays them in a tension at times that is beyond our interpretation of who we think he is or want him to be. Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are much higher. I'm not like you. And I know at times you want me to be a certain way. I know at times you're, you're fighting and you're striving and you can be the God that you would want to be God in the situation when you think that God should be present or God should be moving or God should be interacting with people and life and situations. And I know at times you're disappointed. You're disappointed because your interpretation of me is not falling into right alignment with the way that I reveal myself to be. And this is one of the instances that we find in chapter one. By the hand of the Lord, they're turned over and they're put into exile. And part of that was the name change. And so then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, 
was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. This is in response to the dream that Nebuchadnezzar just shared. And it says, the king responded and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And Belshazzar replied, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. And then he begins a little bit of a journey, which the journey is unto ultimately a rebuke because of the arrogance, because of the prideful self-exaltation and because of the unwillingness to enter into brokenness and repentance. There is a rebuke that Nebuchadnezzar sees in a dream that does not apply, as Daniel tells him, to those who he would determine to be adversaries. He says, these things are not pointed at your enemies. You're the enemy. You're an enemy of the Lord in your prideful arrogance, in your self-exaltation. And the Lord is going to humble you. And he begins to give him the interpretation of the dream. And as you come down towards... Um, Let's just hop back in in verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind and that your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field and that you be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Man, I, I, I can't continue. We're going to read the next couple of verses. But listen to what Daniel is saying. He is talking to a worldly king, to an earthly ruler. He is talking to a man who has determined for himself that he has all of the power, that he's the one that's moving all the pieces, making all the decisions, whatever his agenda, whatever narrative it is that he's introducing and trying to uh, see embodied in his kingdom or throughout the region. Daniel is bringing a correction to his vision and he reminds him until you recognize that the Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind. We need to understand that it is the Son of Man that is seated at the right hand of the Most High. That it is the Son of Man, which Daniel is going to see later on in chapter 7 in the dream that he has. In the dream, I looked into a vision and I saw one like a Son of Man come riding upon the clouds. And there were thrones and it was the Most High. This is Yahweh. This is the Father. And he's seated. He is enthroned. And at his right hand, there is a throne for the Son of Man. And this Son of Man has been given the right to rule. A dominion that is unending, it is eternal. A kingdom that is unending, it is eternal. And the Son of Man begins to bring judgment to all of the tyranny of the wickedness of the beasts that have been given a jurisdiction to roam the earth. We know this is what Daniel sees in chapter 7, but he's reminding Nebuchadnezzar here in chapter 4 that it is the Most High that rules over the realm of mankind. Man, may our hearts find strength as we are reminded that no matter who thinks they are ruling and reigning in the kingdoms of the earth. No matter what man, no matter what woman, no matter what kingdom, no matter what nation thinks that it can exalt itself, thinks that its power is going to be put on display, that in an ultimate sense, in an eternal sense, it is the son of man. It is the son of man. And he is seated. He has been enthroned. The suffering servant 
has ascended and he is enthroned. And regardless of what men may think they are doing in an immediate or temporary way, it is the son of man who rules over all of creation and the kingdoms in the realm of mankind. Let's continue. Verse 26. And in that, it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be prolonging of your prosperity. Daniel brings two incredible exhortations while he is unpacking the interpretation of the dream. And the two things that we are going to focus on that Daniel brings to Nebuchadnezzar is firstly, it is the Most High who is the ruler over the realm of mankind. And secondly, not, not in order of value, not even in any type of distinction, they're equals. It is the Most High. He is the ruler over the realm of mankind. And secondly, heaven rules. The Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind. And secondly, heaven rules. As we posture ourselves in these days. Um, I understand that there is great complication trying to find out what side of all of this Jesus is on. And even in the events that have unfolded over the past week, I know that there are many who are arguing. Um, there are many that are debating. Um, there are many that are trying to bring accusation and even um, verbal assassination. I have to say verbal so that at some point um, I don't get tar targeted and all of this types of nonsense for folks trying to say that I was saying something that I'm not saying. Um, people are arguing, they're debating. Folks are verbally assaulting and verbally attempting to assassinate the character of individuals. Uh, we find it in every category of culture right now but none that seems to be as highlighted as the political arena. And folks are trying to figure out what side of all of this Jesus is on. Is Jesus on the left side? Is Jesus on the right side? Um, is Jesus on my side? Is Jesus on their side? Again, it's wild to me how all of us can be reading the same book and yet drawing such wildly different conclusions about who Jesus is and about what He's like. But in the argument of whether Jesus is on the left or on the right, um, I wouldn't even submit this. I wouldn't suggest this. Um, this is the way that it is. It's not a suggestion. Um, it's not something for you to uh, bring to your consideration. Jesus is not on the left. He is not on the right. He is neither right nor left. He is far above. He is far above. He is enthroned far above all of the worldly, earthly, fleshly, manipulative, power structured and constructed um, agenda driven narrative wielding politics that we know 
here in our nation. Jesus is not right nor left. He is above. And as we set ourselves to intercede in these days, we must have a clear vision of Jesus as the one who is the most high, who rules the realm of mankind. Heaven rules because the ruler of creation is right now seated in the heavens. Like Psalm 2, while the nations rage and the rulers of this age, they, 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 they are hostile against the Lord and his anointed one. He is seated. He is at rest. He is enthroned and he is awaiting the day when his father in an eternal way will make all of his enemies a footstool unto him. We have to have a clear vision of Jesus in these days as we set ourselves to pray and to intercede for the things that are going on in our world, in our nation, throughout our culture, because what we don't want to do is create a Jesus in our image and continue to petition a Jesus that doesn't actually exist because we formed a God in our own likeness, through our own preferences, through the lens of what we would want God to be, the way we would want him to interact and ultimately it's become an idol my idea of who I want Jesus to be has become an idol in my life we have to have a clear vision of Jesus as the one that is enthroned above all things as the one that rules the realm of mankind he is above he is not left he is not right he has ascended he is enthroned he is above the right and the left and this is the way that we have to see him. And it is the gaze that we have to set as we set ourselves to intercede in these days. Let me just encourage you. There is nothing more important that you can be doing in these days than praying. Um, history belongs to the intercessors. The hinge of history belongs to those who fight their battles in the secret place. History hinges upon victories won or lost in the place of prayer. There is nothing more important than prayer in these days. Um, again, th this isn't some new suggestion. If you've been tracking for any time period, you realize these are things that we have been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and year over year in some cases as we have been traveling the nation city by city trying to rally the church to fast and pray because of the agenda that the enemy has been wielding against our nation, rallying believers to fast and pray in a brokenness, in a surrender to the Lord, to exalt Jesus as king and not just the Christian mascot, not just someone who endorses my brand, my stream, not loving the world with a Jesus t-shirt on, but in brokenness, in repentance, in a surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, realizing that the enemy has been wielding an agenda against our nation. And in certain cases, we've underestimated. Um, in certain instances, we have underestimated the ability of darkness. We have underestimated, we have ghastly underestimated because we have chosen to be consumed 
with the American dream in what most cases we have called God's dream. And the church has gotten wrapped up in America's dream, thinking that they've become synonymous, thinking that they have been synchronized, when in many instances, America's dream is problematic to God's dream. And oh, that there has come a day where we are now having to reckon with our prophets. Our prophets. Um, for we, in some cases, who've had prophets that have only cared about their prophets. <laughs> P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. That have only cared about their P-R-O-F-I-T-S. And we've had prophets that have created an industry Prophets that have leveraged gifting in order to wield influence. Prophets that have only considered their own wealth, their own finances, their own financial gain, their own platform, their own following, and profits because of profits. But oh, that there's come a day where we are having to reckon with all of our prophets and where they have led us. When preparing for Milwaukee, um, the Lord gave me a series of dreams. Um, our team knows this. I've shared this with, with many folks, as a matter of fact. Um, a series of dreams um, dealing with Revelation 18. And in Revelation 18, you find the harlot of Babylon wielding seduction through the wine of her passions. And she lures the kings of the earth into immorality through deception but deception came through seduction the kings of the earth were seduced and because they were seduced they gave way to seduction they became deceived and through the deception they were led into immorality that's the harlot of babylon in revelation 18 it's one through four but there's a highlight on verses three and four and we understand that in this hour of history there is a spirit of seduction being wielded against our nation. There's a spirit of seduction. And if you can't see it, people are being seduced. They're being seduced through narratives. They're being seduced through timelines and images. They're being seduced through things that are being presented to them. Information which is being created by agenda. And agenda is creating narrative. And there's the presentation of information that is leading a mass seduction in our nation. And people are deceived. Everybody can't be right at the same time. There is no longer a sense of truth that is guiding our nation as, as a whole. Truth has been abolished. There is no longer truth. There's narrative. There is no longer truth. There is agenda. There is no longer guiding principles. Everything has been reduced and it has been pushed down into a fractional sense of what makes the most sense to a specific group of individuals and what matters most to a sect is being projected on a nation through seduction, and it's created a mass deception. We are living in a time of darkness and deception. And there is a blanket of seduction and deception that has been cast across our nation 
by darkness, powers, principalities, rulers of the age. If you don't think these things actually exist, you are part of the issue. If you don't actually believe that darkness is being wielded against our nation, that the enemy and adversaries, rulers of the age, powers and principalities actually exist. And through seduction, we are seeing a mass deception right now. And there is an inciting of hostility and violence. An inciting of hostility and violence where categories of people that have been created because that, that, that's the end goal, divide and conquer. You divide them by categorizing them. And through categorizing them, you polarize them. And then you're able to inflict unique suffering on different categories. And through hostility, you destroy their unity. Hostility will never be the means to unity. Hostility will never be the means to unity. It's not like if you wield enough violence and hatred. It's not like if you wield enough suffering against other categories, you can pressure them into submission. Hostility will never be the means to unity. But through division, there are categories. And these categories become polarizing. Because through categories, you're able to label. And through labels, you're able to create specific language that's associated with these categories. And so we have many that don't even know how to communicate anymore because they've categorized themselves and they've subdivided themselves and they've chosen what side of the line they're going to fight for. And there's language in each one of these different divides. And here we find ourselves. Here we find ourselves with violence on every side. Here we find ourselves with violence on every side. It is crazy to me to think that the episode that happened, and folks, let, 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 me, just, let me just encourage you. Um, if you are leaning into and seeking to glean from mainstream media in order to find out what things are true, um, you have lost the way. I, I thought about for a moment the way that I was going to say it. I don't know any other way to say it. Um, mainstream media has continued to spew lies, outright blatant lies, L -l lies. There's no other way to put it. Lies in order to hype up different narratives, in order to fuel different agendas. And this is every side. Again, I'm not picking a side. My king is above. He's not left or right. Left and right, both wings, same bird. The whole bird is corrupt. The whole bird is sick. And my king is enthroned above the bird. Lies through mainstream media. We're living in days where if you don't know how to hear the voice of the Lord, you are very easily going to get caught up. You're going to get consumed. You're going to lose the way spiraling out of control by giving into a variety of voices that are intentionally leading us along in 
predetermined directions that are strategic in nature that are fulfilling an agenda. And if we do not know how to discern the voice of the Lord for ourselves, we will look for Jesus in voices that we can hear because we don't know how to hear his voice. We will lose our way trying to take this idol Jesus that we've made left or right and fit him into one of these categories and we will very easily get caught up in the current of nonsense. These are days where you have to know how to hear the voice of the Lord because if you don't, you have no shot at being able to determine what's actually true or not. Just because you see an image, just because you catch a video clip, just because you read a report, an article somewhere, we are living in great days of deception Great days of deception, and we must know how to hear the voice of the Lord. Because in many instances, what we see when we look at the life of Daniel is we see a man who had a powerful secret place. And this powerful secret place gave him instructions on how to posture himself in the public place. Daniel was a man of intercession. And let me encourage you. These are days to be interceding. Um, I know that there are a myriad of ways that folks are trying to bring change in these days. Um, some are fighting on social media. Rather than fighting, we need to be interceding. I do get it. Some are protesting. Some are marching. Some are vandalizing. Um, there was a time over the course of last year when some were looting as a part of their rioting, looting and robbing, destroying property, harming both property and people. Rather than looting and robbing and rioting, we need to be interceding. Um, if we had a clear vision of Jesus as king, we would realize that the place of power is the place of prayer. The place of power is the place of prayer. Daniel understood before he went to pray, he said, we need to ask God for something specific. We need to ask him to have compassion on us. We need to ask him to have compassion on us. You see, I think at times we vastly underestimate the compassion of the Lord. The compassion of the Lord. In Genesis 18, when God comes to Abram, Right? He's sitting at the doorway of his tent. It says in the distance he sees three visitors approaching. He runs out to them. He bows low because he recognizes God has come no close. That, that, that is the only right response when we realize that the Lord has come close. He's come near. Abram bows low when he realizes that God has drawn near. And over a series of things, he's hospitable to them. He says, come home with me. Let me make you a meal. Let me wash your feet. Right? We find that as the three visitors, as the Lord gets up and he's about to go. And as a matter of fact, I, I'm going to turn there uh, because there's something that I want you to see. This is in Genesis 18. It says that as he is about to go, he says, should we hide from Abram? 
the things that we are getting ready to do concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram is hospitable to the Lord. He's hospitable to the Lord. He hosts him well. Man, we need a people that are hosting Jesus well in these days and are hospitable to him. I'm a people that are tending to his heart, um, which is represented in Abram wanting to wash his feet and make him a meal. Let me tend to your needs. Let me tend to your heart. Let me host you and be hospitable to you. Um, this is reminiscent of Mark 10 with the story of Mary and Martha. Two sisters who are both hosting Jesus. They just have different ways of trying to go about it. Mary sitting, content, gazing, loving, captivated, obsessed with him and him alone. Um, Martha busy, preoccupied. Um, all types of things that she feels are necessary in order to have his attention. But as the visitors are about to leave, they say, should we hide from Abram what it is that we're getting ready to do? And they end up sharing with Abram what it is that is on the Lord's heart concerning cities and regions. Man, where are those who actually know what's on God's heart? I'm not talking about all of those that are more concerned with their own profitability according to the things that they prophesy. I'm not talking about those who are only willing to say certain things so long as it aligns well with their stream. I'm not talking about those who have a greater interest in the fear of man and certain invitations and what's going to be opened up for them determined by how they release things or say things and they curb and cater their language to specific people and people groups. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where are those who actually know what it is that God is saying? I'm not talking about your category. I'm not talking about your crowd. I'm not talking about certain movements. I'm not talking about certain categories of politics. I'm talking about where are those that are actually being apprehended by God's heart and know the voice of the Lord in an intimate way and can say, this is what God is saying. Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Um, who are more concerned in having influence with the Lord? than in securing influence with men. Where are they who are worried more? Jesus said every idle word released from your lips, you will be brought to account. Where are those gripped by the word of the Lord? Like Elijah that can arise out of the secret place, standing before the kingdoms of men and wicked rulers, and can say with atmospheric influence, it doesn't matter to me if it's never rained. This is what God is saying. And as surely as I've ever heard anything, this is what I know my king is saying. And when they release it, it actually brings about a shift, a change. And the heavens were locked up and it didn't rain for three and a half years after Elijah released the word. It wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to release the word. Ah, and then, you know, we'll just... Well, we'll just give it a little while and see what happens. He says, should we tell Abram what we're getting ready to do? Man, these are days where we've been encouraging you. The Lord is wanting to share his heart with things pertaining to our nation, with things pertaining to the cities of our nation, regions, and even nationally. 
He said to himself as they were leaving, should we hide it from Abram? No, we don't want to hide it from Abram. And they end up sharing with Abram what they're getting ready to do. But look at Abram's response when he knew that destruction was coming to cities and regions. Abram began to petition the Lord. He entered into intercession. He began to cry out for cities and regions. He didn't glory in destruction. He didn't glory in judgment. Man, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on right now where people in their arrogance are glorying in the judging of any side that's not their side. There's this weird, prideful self-exaltation that's happening even in the name of the Lord. A prideful self-exaltation that's happening right now in a weird desire to see judgment, in a weird desire to see a penalty, to see some sort of punishment fall on, again, any category that does not align with the category that I think I'm a part of and have associated myself with. Man, what is going on? But Abram enters into intercession. And as he intercedes, listen to what he says to the Lord. Um, We started in verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And while Abram was standing before the Lord, Abram came near and said, he drew near. Man, he knew what was on God's heart. He knew that the Lord had spoken to him about things that he was getting ready to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he drew near. He drew near in the place of intercession. And he began to petition the Lord. And listen to what he says. Abram came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. Abram understood something about the character of God. Abram understood something that God is unwilling to bring compromise to his own character, not even when there is circumstantial or cultural events where there is an idea of who we want God to be as he would enter in and begin to interact with things that are unfolding. Abram understood something about the character of God and he began to petition him not by his own idea of who God should be, but when he held his own idea against who it is that he actually understands God to be, this is the place where he found energy in intercession. He said, far be it from you to act this way and to sweep away the righteous who are in the city. Far be it from you to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? And so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I'll spare the whole place on their account. Man, do you see what's happening? 
God shares with Abram that judgment is coming on an entire city. Abram begins to intercede. And God says, if I can find 50 righteous, I'll spare the whole place. And Abram says, I know you. I know you. And because I understand your character, I know that you'll do it for 50. But I also know that you'd do it for 40. Would you do it for 40? And God says, I'll do it for 40. And Abram says, I know you. If you'll do it for 40, you'll do it for 30. And the Lord says, you're right. I'll do it for 30. And again for 20, I'll do it for 20. And again for 10, I'll do it for 10. We have an interesting picture here of the power of intercession. We have a unique window to be able to see the power of posturing ourselves as we draw near to the Lord in the place of intercession. I understand that our nation, that there are certain people in our nation, um, certain categories of people in our nation that have aligned with demonic agendas. Um, if you don't, if we can't at least admit that and be honest about that, um, that there are specific groups of folks in our nation that are pushing hard demonic agendas, wicked ideologies that have been infused through demonic desire. Um, there are certain groups of folks that are trying to wield into full-blown manifestation, legalization, unto the embodying of demonic desire in order to infiltrate every level of society in order to execute in a full way through legalization, in a full way, um, demonic agenda. If we can't at least be honest about that, and I do understand that in response to that, there are times when, like Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28, we find that when men cry out, and I'm using men in a general term in order to talk about men, women, so on and so on, um, not so on and so on to mean that there are other categories, but I just mean so on and so on in the idea of men and women. Um, we have already established uh, there are two genders, as I heard uh, in the doctor's office, boys and girls. Um, so when boys and girls, if that makes it easier, cry out long enough that they want something, that there is a form of judgment. In Romans 1, where it says, And the Lord turned them over to their lustful desires. And the Lord turned them over to the things that they craved. And God gave them over because they were so obstinate. They were relentless. They were determined to have it their way. And we realize that one of the forms of judgment that we can experience in this life right now, I mean right now, one of the forms of judgment that we don't have to wait until that great day to encounter, one of the forms of judgment that we can experience right now in this life is when we want something bad enough, long enough, that God says, I'm going to step out of the way and I'm no longer going to try to intervene. But if that's what you want, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let you have it. And along with it are going to come the full measure of the consequences that are attached to it. It's not like you only get to participate in the enjoyment. Um, but it comes along with the consequences. And so I do realize 
that once we have cried out for something, and when I say we, I mean as a nation, and when I mean as a nation, that's not all inclusive of everybody in the nation, but that means as a um, sect of our nation, there have been people that have been crying out to have it a certain way, and they've been crying out for a long time to have it the way that they have determined they want it, and there is a specific judgment that comes along with God no longer intervening and letting them have what it is that they think they want and the full measure of the consequences that are associated with that way. But Abram says, Lord, would you spare the whole place on account of 10 being there? And God says, I will. Man, are there 10 righteous people in our nation in this hour of history? that would be willing to intercede on behalf of the wickedness happening, that would be willing to intercede on behalf of the corruption. Listen to me, I'm saying intercede. I'm not asking you to get on Facebook and complain. I'm not asking you to start up a new social media account so that you can complain freely there. Are there righteous people in our nation, just like Ezekiel 9, when judgment is going to hit the people, the angel of the Lord, goes throughout the camp, marking those on their forehead that have been weeping and groaning because of the detestable acts being done amongst the people in the nation. Where are those that will weep and groan? Where are those that will intercede? Where are those that will receive the marking of the Lord in this hour of history to draw near to God in the place of intercession? Where are those that understand that the real power is in the place of prayer? Where are those that realize that history is hinged upon the intercessors? Where are those that understand that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the earth, even in this moment in history, seeking a man or a woman that would be willing to get into the gap on behalf of the land so that he would not have to release certain judgment because of men and women crying out, even at times being filled with demonic desire, crying out, able to turn the tide of a nation because of the lack of resistance in the place of prayer. You see, for far too long, we have underestimated the wielding of darkness in our nation. The wielding of darkness in our nation and what the agenda is actually able to achieve over time when there is not a resistance in the place of prayer. Man, if there's anything to be consumed with in these days, I'm telling you, all the nonsense, all the idols, all the nonsense, all the idols, the Lord has sifted them all and will continue to sift them so long as they have a greater place in the place of our attention than they do his voice, his desires, his heart, us drawing near to God because of the devastation of the hour that's being wreaked in our nation because there's no resistance to it in prayer. Um, but because we've spent more time praying about our brands than we have the condition of the bride because we've spent more time praying about our own influence and our itineraries than we have what it is that God is doing with his people in this nation and because we've prayed more about platforms and power 
because we've prayed more about the church aligning with politics, because we've prayed more about our own bank accounts and about our own wealth and about our own financial conditions. Man, I'm telling you, it's time to cast down all of the idols and to humbly draw near to God in the secret place. And then together, corporately in the public place for the place of prayer and intercession. It's time to come together and to pray on behalf of the land. And Abram understood. Look at this. Abram is not in a prayer meeting. He is, of sorts. The prayer meeting is him and God. It's him and the Lord. And I get it at times we consider to ourselves, what am I going to be able to do? I'm one person with one voice. And Abram is contending for a region because he understands the character of God. Oh, when we understand the character of God, we are able to cry out. When we understand the character of God, we're able to contend. When we understand the character of God, we realize that there is no compromise too great for his compassion to be able to cover. And this is exactly what we see. Abram contends in the place of intercession. And God tells him, if I find 10, I will save the whole place on account of 10. And then we find that the visitors go down, two of them, as Abram stays. And two visitors go down. This is going to be bananas when we, when we put it in, in the conversation that we've been having. The two visitors go down. And they go, and they are desiring... You know what? I'm just going to read it. Um, then the two angels... This is chapter 19. Uh, and if you think to yourself, like, man, he, he's going to read a bunch of the Bible. Um, let, let me just go ahead and tell you. Uh, we need as much of this in these days as we can possibly get. Chapter 19. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. They encounter Lot on the outskirts at the gate. The idea is that Lot is a gatekeeper. And they encounter Lot as a gatekeeper. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed down with his face to the ground. Lot is a gatekeeper for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we realize that Lot ended up there. We find that out earlier whenever there was, uh, let's just say a little bit of confrontation between Abram and Lot. The wisdom is we're going to go out. Abram tells him, I'm going to let you choose whatever portion you want. Lot takes the portion that in the moment, in an immediate sense, looked better. Um, the visibility of sorts looked better. And so Lot encamped in a specific place that over time ended up becoming Sodom and Gomorrah. And now the two visitors, the angelic visitors, end up encountering Lot at the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's a gatekeeper for the city. He's there when he realizes that the angel of the Lord, when he realizes that the visitors have drawn near, much like Abram, whenever he had a sensitivity to recognize that God had come close, Lot realizes, and in response to God coming close, he bows low. And he bows down with his face to the ground, and he says, Now behold, my lords, Please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet 
And they said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. And yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them. And he baked unleavened bread and they ate it. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old. And we realize the complications that enter in. Um, they are beating on the door. There's all types of nonsense. They want the two men to come out so that they can have their way with them and enter into sexual acts with them. Lot is like, hey, listen, don't take them. Take my two daughters. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you, Lot has lost his mind, right? Like I've got two girls myself. This dude has completely lost his mind. Um, that's just a dad note as a side note. Um, I got two girls. Y'all gonna have to kill me first, like just straight up. Uh, I'm just letting you know, y'all gonna have to kill me first. Um, everybody in the house is dying before I turn my girls over. Um, and I'm gonna have to die before them because I'm, I'm just fighting till the end. Kicking, scratching, biting, gouging eyes, like wh whatever. You know what I mean? Like whatever. Um, I'm going down to the end for my girls, straight up. Um, but over the time, the angels begin to tell them, we've come to bring judgment on the city. Grab your family and get out. And this is what we see. Let's jump all the way down to verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, whom else do you have here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, get up and get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-laws to be joking. They thought he was messing around. And when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, get up, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. He hesitated. He doesn't really know what to do because of the complex pressure of the moment. Man, maybe this is where you find yourself. There's so many pressures from so many sides and you're hesitant to make a strong move in any one direction because it's really hard to determine what direction is God really. In this moment, there's a hesitation to respond to the word of the Lord. There's a hesitation, but look at what happens. But he hesitated. So the two men, the visitors, seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters. Why? Why? Why was there such an urgency from the Lord in order to make sure that Lot and his family were taken care of? Why was there such a determination from the two visitors, the angels that came, that were there to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but before they executed the judgments of the Lord, they had to make sure that the righteous in the city were taken care of? Why was there such a focus on determination to make sure that Lot and his family were able to get out? For the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And because of that, they brought him out and put him outside the city. And when they had brought him outside, one said, escape for your life and don't look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape 
to the mountains or you will be swept away with the judgment that is coming. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains for the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to and it is small. Please let me escape there that my life may be saved. And he said to him, behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town which you have spoken. Hurry and escape there, for I can't do anything until you arrive there safely. In Lot, exiting because of the judgment, right? The hesitation, but in Lot, exiting. As he's exiting, he's interceding. And he's interceding for the city that he's going to flee to. And the city that he's going to flee to should have been wrapped up in the judgment that the visitors had come for, that the angels had come for. But the city that Lot escaped to ended up getting saved, ended up getting preserved. Why? Through Lot's intercession, there was a preserving of the city that Lot was going to position himself in. We understand whenever we look into the New Testament to the writings of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 that Peter begins to give an exhortation to those that he's writing to. And let's just look at what it is that Peter says. Um, Peter says it this way. On the second letter of Peter chapter 3. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, talking about the day of the Lord, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scripture to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Um, it's interesting because here, Peter is referencing people that don't understand the times. And when you look back into chapter 2, you understand that there are those who through judgment, um, and he begins to speak about Lot. And in speaking about Lot, he tells them that Lot, as a righteous man, in a corrupt place um, in verse four for if God did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter and if he rescued Lot not just Lot 
but righteous lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man who lived among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Righteous Lot being tormented in his soul day by day because of the corruption and the wickedness of the people that surrounded him in Sodom and Gomorrah. Righteous Lot took that torment in his righteous soul and used it as fuel for intercession. When the visitors found him, he was standing at the gates. He was bowed low at the gates of the city. In Ezekiel 9, there's a marking upon those who have been weeping and groaning because of the unrighteous acts, because of the detestable acts, because of the corruption, the wickedness, the indulgence into perversion. There was a marking on the foreheads of those that had been weeping and groaning. When the visitors encounter Lot at the gates of the city, there's a righteousness in his soul that's producing a torment that he is using as fuel for intercession. Um, let me just, we'll just make it super simple. We need to be using all of the energy right now that can be channeled into different directions and different activities. We need to be using all of the energy right now that's being produced through all of the unrighteousness, all of the wickedness, all of the corruption. Those of us who have a righteousness, those of us who know how to draw near to the Lord, those of us who realize we have access to God in the place of intercession, we need to take all of that energy through that torment, much like Lot, and we need to channel it into the place of intercession. For the Most High is the one who rules over the realm of mankind. For heaven rules. And we have a king that is seated. And he is all authoritative. He is not rivaled. He is not matched. He is not wondering what he is going to do in response to all of the corruption that is filling the earth and especially our nation. He is not bothered to the point where he realizes that he is going to be overturned. But... He rules and he reigns. And there is no greater thing that we could do in these days than to secure a clear vision of Jesus. Lift your gaze, beloved. The psalmist writes, where does my help come from? I lift my head to the hills. For here is where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. I feel strongly to encourage you. All things are possible. 
like Jesus told them when they were weeping over the death of Lazarus. He said, didn't I tell you that if you would just believe that surely you would see the glory of God? All things are possible. And if we will choose to believe, I believe that we are going to see the glory of God. I believe that his ear has not grown dull of hearing. I believe that his arm is not too short that he still cannot save. I believe that his eyes are upon the righteous and that his ear is attentive to their cry. Lord, would you do it for 10? Yes, Abram, I would. His eyes are upon the righteous. The righteous soul of Lot preserved from a unique judgment that fell upon a city. And in his exiting, he's interceding and preserving other cities. His righteous soul being tormented. Let me ask you, are you bothered by the wickedness? What are you doing with it? Are you bothered by the corruption? Are you moved? Are you tormented by all of the ungodliness? Man, it is time that we channel it into the place of prayer and into the place of intercession because just as Peter encourages, do not consider the patience of the Lord to be his distance and uninvolvement. But in his patience, he has a desire. It's that none would perish, but that all would come unto repentance. May we be found in the place of prayer in these days. And may we know that we stewarded these days in the place of intercession, crying out for the glory of God, crying out for impossibility to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. May we know that we took up that we took up as the eyes of the Lord were searching to and fro throughout the earth, that we took up the gap on behalf of the land, realizing that God has a desire and that his compassion is greater than our compromise. That's what Abram found out. Abram said, would you do it for 10? He said, if I find 10, I'll save the whole place. In the end, we realize that God couldn't even find 10, including Lot, which is why a unique judgment was experienced. God wasn't a liar. He said that he would do it for 10. He didn't find 10. That's why judgment came. Let us not underestimate God's compassion. God's compassion is greater than our compromise. God's compassion is greater than the corruption of our nation. And his patience, because he desires that none would perish, cannot be misunderstood as a lack of involvement. He's being patient with us because we still have time for repentance to be experienced. Let me encourage you in these days. Pray. Pray like you've never prayed. Pray more than you've ever prayed. It doesn't have to be with all of these, um, you know, like uh, those that are referenced in Matthew 6, they think because of their fancy words and their visibility, they think that that's what makes them heard. No, 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 no. Pray as simple as you know how to pray.
Pray out of the anguish of your soul. Pray out of the torment of the righteousness that you know. Pray out of the compromise and the corruption that you see being pushed at large as an agenda in our nation. Pray because of the wickedness and the hostility. Pray in response to demonic desire. Pray, pray because of the hostility and the suffering. I'm telling you, we're going to see the glory of God. We're going to see the glory of God. We're going to see God's compassion win against demonic desire and destruction. When you understand the character of God, you'll begin to contend. When you understand the character of God, you'll understand and you'll begin to cry out. These are days to pray. These are days to pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.